Welcome to episode number 284 of Destination Linux, a text digital podcast. Whether you're brand new to open source or a guru of sudo, this is the podcast for you. My name is Jill. I'm Ryan. And I'm Michael. And on this week's awesome episode of Destination Linux, we're going to be interviewing Christian and Lucas from Red Hat about accessibility work being done in Linux. Then we will be discussing a new educational distro that would be perfect for your Chromebook. Plus, we have our famous tips, tricks, and software picks. All this and more coming up right now on Destination Linux to keep those penguins marching. So in our community feedback this week, we have feedback that comes from Stahl. And if you want to send us your own feedback, you can go to tuxdigital.com slash contact to get in touch. Or you can join the Tux Digital community forum by going to tuxdigital.com and you click the forum link at the top of the page. Stahl goes on to say, hello, Jill, Michael, and Ryan. I just joined your patrons today. I know, I know I must have been living under a rock, but I only <laughs> found your show a couple weeks ago and I'm loving it. So interesting news, 10,000 people found our show recently. We have 10,000 new listeners that were added into the Tux Digital family, well, the Destination Linux family directly, which is awesome. Uh, it goes on to say, you guys made me excited to try and use Unity again. But as mentioned, keeping Unity available in the long term seems tricky. Also, because few distros and people are using it, doesn't feel like swimming against the current if you use it now. I love Linux and wouldn't want to use anything else. I sometimes really miss the Ubuntu of old, but that is a story in of its own. Since the first introduction to Linux, I've been charmed, but using it means I'm part of a niche and minority subset of computer users, which sometimes brings its uh, challenges. Because of this, it took me 11 years since my first encounter to get to the point where I stopped dual booting Windows three years ago. That's an awesome accomplishment, by the way. Back to Unity, as appealing as it may be, using Unity would make me a minority among a minority of users. So my question to you guys is, how do you feel about using less established desktop environments and distributions in general? I mean, for something as a production machine that you rely on. Thank you for your awesome show. You've put a smile on my face so many times already. I love hearing that. Thank you for sending this awesome feedback. Mm -hmm. Thank you for becoming a patron and for finding our show. And I'm so happy so many new people are finding our show each and every week. Uh, in regards to using these distros as your main machine, I think that was kind of the key there as your production machine. Mm -hmm. I generally tend not to. Now, I love these other distros. I love using different desktop environments. I love different using different distros. I know that's shocking, Michael, to hear. You distro hop? What? Yeah, I know. <laughs> but generally on my production machine, I try to keep with some more of the mainstream stuff just because of the amount of support and things that you have. Uh, every once in a while, I may defer from that, like when I was wanting to try, uh, what was the OS? Uh, Garuda. Garuda yeah. and things like Garuda. that. You know? And Garuda is amazing and awesome. And I used it for as a production for a while. I like how you're asking, what was the distro or OS you're talking about? Like, you thought there's like a hundred options You're like, for you. There's eight thousand. What are <laughs> yeah. you asking me? Like, yeah. How could I possibly pick? <laughs> yeah, but so for my main production machine, generally I'll use something more standard. Right now it's Fedora GNOME or an OpenSUSE KDE or something along those lines. On my other machines, though, I go crazy. I'll try anything and everything and play with it. So mm -hmm. I'm not saying you couldn't use one as a production machine, but generally there tends to be in some of the lesser known distros or desktop environments, some bugs and quirks and things that you really wouldn't want to run into, especially since we do live video and podcasting and all of that stuff. There's not a lot of room for error. We already have enough problems. 
as it is as shown up in this today's episode yeah, exactly yeah. so uh <laughs> michael what do you feel about that question i think it's really interesting first of all thank you for coming a patron it's awesome and i'm so glad you enjoy the show enough to become a patron and in terms of the unity question is really interesting because unity was a really good desktop environment and one of my favorites but it did have a shelf life that we found and i would say that it's pretty much on the way out eventually unless a bigger project can jump in and because I think right now there's two or three people working on it. And for that size of a project, that's not enough people. So depending on what happens in the future, if they can convert it to working on Wayland or not, that would make it less likely to be able to use. So the idea of being a, a niche of a niche is pretty accurate and that's also why I like to I like to use mainstream distros as well. So mainstream desktops is also a thing for, for me, but really it's just plasma is the thing is the desktop. Yeah. So it doesn't really <laughs> matter what distro is as long as it has plasma, I'm good yeah. to go. But the the distro thing is I'm okay with some of derivatives of the mainstreams. You know, like um, Linux Mint is a is a derivative of Ubuntu, so it's kind of still. That's fair in point. the mainstream, but not exactly. You know? yeah. Well, I was thinking, too, like the stability that Unity offered and some of the features, frankly, that offered that are still ahead of the yes. distros today. Uh, when you go, I was thinking more in general regards, but his question was specific to Unity. I think you can use Unity. Funny story, me and Michael yesterday when we were working right. on some stuff, we're watching a video on AI and the video was recorded in 2020. And the person who was writing the AI had an Ubuntu Unity desktop that they were using <laughs> to write the AI in the video we were watching, which was pretty awesome. So yep. they're still utilizing, well, as of 2020 anyways, they were still utilizing Unity, um, which is past Unity's technical shelf life. So uh, I think that there's definitely some use cases for Unity specifically, just because frankly, it was probably five years, 10 years ahead of yes. every other desktop environment. It still has some things yeah. that other DEs that are currently being actively developed do not have. Yeah. I mean, there's the high DPI support and the fr and the fractional scaling that Unity had yeah. years before. <laughs> you could argue that GNOME still doesn't even have full fractional scaling. Yeah. So not without I mean, some like behind the scenes stuff to try to right. adjust it and right. yeah. So there's a lot of different pieces of that mainstream approach to desktop or distro that I think is a valid concern. But I also think that it's important that these projects exist because that's usually where the innovation comes from, you know, because yeah, exactly. people are doing things on the, the outer edge, testing the word like the boundaries. And that allows there's some more growth that the mainstreams can pull in and stuff like that. That's why I like the concept of derivatives, because a lot of the time you'll see someone doing something that's innovative and interesting. And then the mainstream that the derivative is based on will Adopt. consider adopting it and that sort of stuff. Yeah. So Jill, what do you think about this question? Well, thanks again, Stahl, for becoming our patron. We love you and for all your kind words. Actually, I use Linux desktops for productivity that most users aren't using every day. No like way, Classic <laughs> X-Window managers, such as Window Maker, which I'm on right now. Of course you uh, are. Fluxbox, <laughs> TWM. IceWM, and even rat, rat poisoning. poison. Of poison. course. Tiling without mouse support. <laughs> For those who have not heard of rat poison, Jill has, it blew my mind the first time she told me she used rat poison. Right. Because I saw production. it. In production. In production, <laughs> yes. I used rat I poison did. just for fun because I found it years ago. 
And I thought, oh, that's a clever name for a desktop environment that gets rid of the mouse. Yes. But why? <laughs> yeah. Jill also <laughs> uses the Suicide Linux on a production machine as well, right, Jill? I don't think yeah. that's true. Do you? Have you <laughs> yeah. done that, Jill? I have done that, yes. How great is that? <laughs> and Imagine I've used in Rap the middle Poison. of the show, Jill just disappears and she's like, oh, I entered uh, a command. command. <laughs> For those who don't know, Suicide Linux is a project that's kind of like you're trolling yourself. It installs a regular distro, except awesome. if you mess up a command at any, any point, command. yeah, any command, anything, even like parameters, it starts randomly deleting stuff. Yeah. <laughs> so, it's not something that we would typically recommend, but it Jill. is kind of hilarious that Jill I, used it. <laughs> I feel like we should have a DL challenge where we do the show. How long can we last? We do the show. Oh, that How many cool. weeks can we all survive on Suicide Linux? So and as who a goes challenge, out first because I know I wouldn't because I leave everything default. <laughs> so I don't even, I <laughs> oh even need all the extra true. stuff. I fear that a You're lot. You're the one who's going to be gone immediately. But what's hilarious is that if we did this challenge on Suicide Linux and yeah. you make one mistake, it starts deleting. I already did it in this like this episode. Like if you look at the, com the console made, we have. You messed up several yeah. times. Yeah, I was trying to run something and then it's like permission denied. Like. Yeah, well, you're not that allowed over destroyed. my house when we're doing this challenge because you'll destroy my machine, <laughs> which was default challenge accepted, and didn't then. need any commands, so we would be good. I'll well, make it. I'll yeah. come here, and make it not default, and then it'll blow your mind. <laughs> yeah. And and yeah, I also use you know lots of niche distro like like Suicide Linux. Um, I've used Tiny Core Linux to do broadcasting. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, I'll, I'll use anything. For me, is it's. It's all about as long as I have the apps I need, it doesn't matter what desktop manager or Linux distro I'm using to get work done. You know, as I kind long of agree with that. that. It doesn't matter what desktop yeah. I'm using as long as it's Plasma. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Gosh. <laughs> Unbelievable. <laughs> well, thank you so much, Stahl, for not only becoming our patron, but for sending that awesome email to us. And again, everyone, if you go to tuxdigital.com, you can send us an email as well, and we may read it on a show. This episode of Destination Linux is brought to you by DigitalOcean. Get started right now by going to do.co slash tux2022. Cloud computing can be, let's say, complex, but standing up reliable, affordable cloud infrastructure really doesn't have to be. At DigitalOcean, you can enjoy a comprehensive portfolio of compute, storage, database, and networking products that put your cloud infrastructure in capable hands so you and your teams can get back to doing what matters most, building world-changing apps that grow your business. And with DigitalOcean, you get predictable pricing, robust product docs, and services that developers love. That's DigitalOcean. Plus, you get support at every stage of growth. Whether you're a team of one person or a team of a thousand people, with DigitalOcean, you get simple, powerful cloud computing to get growing at DigitalOcean. And as a listener of the Destination Linux podcast and a member of the Tux Digital community, you can get started for free. Actually, it's better than free because DigitalOcean is going to give you a $100 free credit when you go to do.co slash tux. 2022. That's do.co slash tux2022. So again, go get started with that $100 free credit on DigitalOcean's awesome cloud platform by going to do.co slash tux2022. We want to thank DigitalOcean for sponsoring this episode of Destination Linux. So back when we interviewed Matthew Miller for Fedora 36, we asked about the concerns with Matthew about improving accessibility 
in Linux, in which we've heard this consistently from our community, that this is something very important to the community. We've heard the comparisons against Windows and Mac OS. We've heard many people send us emails saying, hey, this is really impacting me. This is a reason why I can't use Linux full time and those things. So after that interview, we were contacted by Christian Schaller, Director for Desktop Graphics and Infotainment at Red Hat, about some exciting news, so we invited both Christian and Lucas on the show today to talk with us about it and accessibility distinctly. Christian and Lucas, thank you so much, number one, for reaching out to us, and welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you for having us. Yeah, thank you. Thank you, because, well, it's important that uh, the people can hear about these issues. So oh, thank yeah. you so much. Oh, you're very welcome. Mm -hmm. We are so happy to get Love into this. You. Before we get into the main topic of accessibility, since this is the first time for both of you on the show, we would love for our audience to get to know each of you a little bit better. So I want to start with you, Christian. Can you tell us what you do for Red Hat and Fedora? Yeah, so I, I manage the teams that basically do anything related to screens at Red Hat, so uh, desktop uh, graphics and also server, uh, servers with display, as it's called. So, so anything that sort of basically brings up a desktop of some form, uh, including more also like payment terminals and ATMs and so on is covered by my team. Um, the team also includes um, the team that works on the internationalization at Red Hat. So like, you know, in terms of figuring out which fonts to ship and how to make sure people can input in Korean or Japanese, for instance, and so on, that's also handled by my team. Um, and, and we also have a few sort of things that are more related, like the boot team uh, is part of my group uh, working on Linux boot and uh, also part of that working on the firmware service with the LVFS. Uh, Richard Hughes, for instance, who does that is on my team, and um, and uh, also multimedia in general, so like Wim Timmons, who's the PipeWire creator, is also on, reporting to me on my team. Oh, you got a lot of cool stuff under you. Oh, so yeah. give me, yeah. uh, outside of accessibility we're about to get into, you mentioned something while we were doing some prep in the pre-show about some stuff you guys are doing with OBS. Can, can, we, can we open that up? Oh, yeah. Yeah. So the thing actually Wim Timmons, the pipeware creator, is working on at the moment is to make sure that the camera support in OBS Studio uh, starts working through Pipewire. Um, and, and we're doing that for a couple of reasons. A, of course, that we want uh, OBS Studio to have good Pipewire camera support, uh, but also actually to, to make sure we have sort of like um, best practices implementation out there so that when we ask other people to implement support for Pipewire, we can point them to something and say, hey, look at this to see how, how to do it. That sounds awesome, especially since we had some technical issues with the cameras today for the show. So I look forward to that day when we can do that. We yeah. just throw it straight through Pipewire. Yep. You're gonna be very popular with us. I'm thinking of getting like uh, I heart Christian shirt now at this point. <laughs> there we go. Yeah, That's awesome. you're a good insider to know here. Okay, so let's switch to Lucas. Lucas, tell us about your responsibilities as an engineer and a little bit about the work that you do. Well, basically, as I'm basically completely blind, I'm just trying to make Fedora and uh, Linux in general more accessible for us because it's a lot of work, but uh, we have to start somewhere. So I'm slowly fixing all the issues, first finding them, then trying to find out where the issue actually is because it can be in so many places from GTK the Orca screen reader or the application, you never know where the issue is, so you have to find the place and then you have to fix it somehow. Yeah, and teaching the others about our needs because 
being only one who can fix these issues are isn't definitely possible because there is so many applications, so many things to do, so it's not possible that only one person would be fixing all of this. Right. Yeah. So when we talk about accessibility, for those who are not familiar watching the show, we're referring to making Linux more accessible to people of all different abilities, whether they have issues with visuals, uh, hearing, uh, speech, mobility, things like that. And this is one of the things that is very important to our community and to us as well. So we'd like to talk about that. And also, when we do distro reviews, we make sure to include that and like whether they have documentation on it or what they do to address accessibility. But let's talk about the current state. Uh, what's available today of people with varying abilities in the Linux ecosystem? Honestly, I can properly talk only for the blind people because mm -hmm. I know these issues well. And if we talk about blind, we have a pretty good software which can you tell you what's on the screen, whether this thing is a button or a checkbox or something completely different. We have this thing named Orca and it works pretty okay and it's quite usable. Then, of course, you need to have some voices to speak with, and we have a few, like Speak or Festival or maybe some others, and some commercial as well. Of course, the majority of the voices is open source thing, so the quality isn't so high as uh, somewhere else, but maybe it may change in the future. I would be so grateful for that, but we will see. We have a pretty good support for braille displays, which are devices which can show you basically maybe 40 or 80 characters of the text screen in braille, which mm. is quite helpful if you are trying to program or check some documents for spelling errors and so on. So this piece works as well. Overall, we have all the basic things which can make accessibility great, but we need to make them cooperate nicely and uh, without any errors. So we have the building blocks, but we have to ensure that everything works as it should. Oh, that's, that, that's so important to get everything integrated very easily to use. Like, the proprietary packages on Windows where you have a uh, Zoom text, you know, working in conjunction yeah. with JAWS. I mean, that, that was a brilliant move for those companies. Yeah, definitely for them. Yeah. <laughs> and that's a big issue is they're, they're so expensive. So to have an open source option is so important and especially on Linux. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Yeah. So, Accessibility is an important topic and one we've received comments from our audience that Linux is currently behind in accessibility. So what are some of the things that Red Hat and Fedora are working on to improve this? Yeah, so, so to give a little bit of a backstory, I mean, of course, um, the accessibility support we have in, in, in Linux today, right, was mostly thanks to Sun Microsystems back in the day, because when they decided to ship GNOME, they basically hired a team to, to work on, on bringing accessibility to Linux. And mm. I guess, unfortunately, and I mean, 
I guess at a certain point in, in like during GNOME 2 age, we had, I guess, pretty good, you know, at least for the times, accessibility support, thanks to that effort and then having a, a sizable team at, at Sun working on it. Uh, but then what happened, of course, was that, you know, as Sun started dwindling and also got acquired by Oracle, uh, eventually this team was, was laid off and the, the community sort of tried to, to keep things running. And that's sort of where we've been for the last... Uh, I would say decade almost. So things have sort of been, I mean, you know, the regular maintainers have tried to keep things working and going, but we haven't necessarily evolved things further from that point. So so um, what happened was that we have been discussing this eternally and then also discussed the fact that it was a problem that we didn't have anyone who sort of could keep tabs on this and keep pushing it forward for us. And and of course the problem is that if you if you if you for instance are not blind, then of course you don't necessarily even know if your application has bugs that makes it hard to to use for blind people. What happened then was that I, I did end up sending a request up the chain and said that, hey, you know, we, we have a, a great intern actually in the form of Lucas who, who would be really great for us to have working full time for us on, on making sure accessibility becomes great in Linux again. And um, I think for anyone who ever worked at a big company, these things often takes a long time and it's sort of like a lot of mm and ah as you go up the chain. But, but this time it was actually the opposite. I, uh, I sent it to my manager, Steph Walters. Who right away said, I will support this and sent it up to his manager, Mike McGrath, who almost also right away sent a mail back saying, yep, I already going to bring this up with my manager. And I think it was like four days and we had approval to, uh, to hire, uh, Lucas. So, um. That's excellent. Yeah, as a full-time engineer. So, so Wonderful. our goal, of course, is that he will start with, um, call it low-hanging fruits. Just, you know, look at other, for instance, applications where something is lacking annotation so that you can't get Orca to read it properly and so on. And then we will uh, grow it from there. And, and of course, as Luca said, of course, his uh, specialty at the moment is, of course, looking at what keeps the system inaccessible for, for blind users. Uh, but the goal, of course, is that as he uh, grows in his role, he, we can sort of expand that to cover other areas of accessibility too. That's awesome. What I think is interesting about your story there is uh, there are some in the community, it's a small pocket, but they kind of get upset anytime a big company gets involved, right? They kind of see this as individuals doing stuff. But when you look at Sun Microsystem, you're talking about the work that they were doing for accessibility. And then when they stopped, it all went away. And then we have these little patches and blocks of things because people create stuff or try to support it individually, but nothing cohesive. And now you've got kind of Red Hat and Fedora coming back together again as an entity to try to fix this problem. But you need those resources in order to get someone like Lucas on board to be able to start solving those problems. And it's important that we have that big company support to be able to do things like that. Otherwise, we don't get mm -hmm. accessibility at the same level of other OSs. And this is going to leave, this could potentially leave Linux very far behind if we're not able to solve these problems. And like you said, they're usually not an individual application by itself. It's about that cohesion between all of them there. Yeah, no, I, I agree fully. And I mean, that's, you know, uh, definitely also what we hope for Lucas to do, right? Is that not, I mean, as he said himself, he can fix every <laughs> bug in the system. Uh, but, but you know, he can definitely then educate the rest of my team to say, hey, you know, uh, there's this bug in GTK or there's this bug in Qt or there's this bug in Audacity or in Firefox or whatever that is keeping it from working correctly. And, and of course, like Lucas and I have a call next week with the Anaconda team to, to make sure that, you know, we figure out how to, to make uh, accessibility nice. work greatly, even if from the point of install. Oh, that's where I was going to go next. So I'm glad you brought that up because mm -hmm. one of the things that has caused a lot of frustration uh, with those with different abilities is the installation process itself. Because a lot of times, 
you know, Linux doesn't come on the computer you have. You're, you're going to install it or you're installing a different distro, even if you do have, I mean, we're getting more options now that come with Linux pre-installed, but if you're going to install a different distro or other things, that installation process can be very difficult for somebody with different abilities to be able to get. In some through. cases, just in general. Just Yeah, in some <laughs> cases, just in general, for, yeah. for every, all abilities, to, it's difficult to install. But um, so what are some, what's some work being done there in the installation process so that everybody has access to install these distros a little easier? Yeah, so 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 what's happening at the moment actually is that there's there's a full redesign of Anaconda being worked on. Um, mm. So and, and that's not driven, you know, from a, necessarily from an accessibility viewpoint. But what we are doing now is that you know we're making sure to connect uh, them with Lucas and then we're just making sure that he can make sure that you know we, they have discussed that and taken part and and that the accessibility use cases becomes part of the design of of the new Anaconda. So I mean I think we're sort of a bit early to to sort of talk about exactly what's going to happen in Anaconda, but but because we're still sort of working on on the overall design, but but at least now we're making sure that you know there is someone who can uh, keep tabs on it and keep testing Anaconda as I develop the new design and make sure that like, hey, you know this is not great because here uh, there is a glitch which you know might make it really hard for someone let's say who's blind to even find out where the next button is because you didn't annotate it properly as an example. Nice. Some of the installers we have are really impressive in terms of like what they can do, but their usability is, you know, hit or miss. And Anaconda has uh, a couple of things where it's the first time you use it, it's a little bit confusing. So mm -hmm. uh, the hearing that they're redesigning Anaconda is fantastic because functionally it's one of my favorite installers because it's it always is reliable and solid. And I never, I've never had an install of Fedora where it just went bad on the install. Like it's never happened. See. And that's one of the reasons why I'm a big fan of Fedora is that Anaconda is such a good installer. So to hear that y'all are working on improving the overall experience for that, as well as the, you know, adding accessibility factors as a key point, I think that's just fantastic. Yeah. And I know uh, Lucas and Christian that there are there are some screen reader support during installation with some distros like Endeavor OS uh, recently included that and I was really impressed by it. And there's a new one, new distro called Accessibility Accessible Coconut. Um have have you mm -hmm. worked with those teams? Well, every couple of years some guys chat to say that they will create something accessible and they do it pretty well, but uh, after some time they lost interest or time or whatever. Yeah. So well, I much prefer to have all these great accessibility stories in Fedora because mm -hmm. we aren't losing this distro any soon. Yeah, awesome, awesome. <laughs> I mean, w one thing I often sort of harp on is that I, I, I don't actually like the idea of use case distros. And and what I mean with that is that I don't want it to just be like, oh, here's a distro for gamers, and here's a distro for accessibility, mm -hmm. and here's a distro for doing, you know, um, drawing. So I, I, so my colleague mission with my team has always been like, we need to figure out how to fix Fedora Workstation so that it can function for all these use cases so that people don't have to install a different distro for every different kind of task they're doing. Um, so that's sort of my, my philosophical approach to this. Awesome. Mm. I like the idea of use case when you're talking about embedded, but when you go into like the regular desktop usage, there's really never a single use case that fits anyone because there's always going to be someone's like random, like 
maybe on Monday they're a gamer and Tuesday I have to do some work and then it's a little bit different experience. <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> but we were talking about earlier about how the, the company's getting involved in Linux, helping it out and people not, for some reason, a small subset, not wanting that to happen, even though that's really the reason why Linux is so, so big and so popular and so widespread is because of all these companies that are getting involved. But also there are a lot of developers who are getting involved in Linux with their applications and that sort of thing. And I'm curious, what are their all right, best practices or suggestions that developers should know for making their applications accessible to users? The human interface guidelines for GNOME are quite good. And there's a whole chapter about accessibility. And if every developer would read it and do as the things say, it would be great. But uh, Maybe that some more examples for them would be very helpful because it's quite nice to say something, but uh, they probably never met a visual impaired person and they have no idea what all the words mean and what the issues actually look like. So some better presentation of these issues would be probably helpful as well. But yeah, yeah. there are some guides. Of course, there's all the web stuff, which is important as well, because web technologies are used so much today in desktop applications as well. So now everything applies for to desktop OSs as well. But trying to understand all the recommendations may be... Uh, quite challenging for someone who has set all these deadlines and needs to finish his work early and on time. So maybe that sometimes it may be more useful to just ask someone who can understand the topics and just say them what to do. And if they know where to ask, it may help as well. Is there a community where they could ask those type of questions? Is there, is there, or is that something we need to? Oh, they could probably ask on the Orca mailing list and someone would probably help them, but I never seen actually some, anyone doing that. Hmm. And maybe if there would be many of them, that a new mailing list would be needed because you don't want to mix all these topics after all. So there's probably not nothing entirely dedicated to this use case now, but it may be really useful if uh, something is created and the people know about it. Yeah, absolutely. Every person who has a, a challenge, whether it be a, a disability challenge or a visual challenge, all our needs are, are unique. Like I'm half blind and sometimes I need a, a magnification program and sometimes I need, um, I use eSpeak on the command line to read documents when my, my good eye gets tired. And Lucas, he is full blind. So he has different needs. And I, I think that that's one of the biggest challenges is is that with all our, you know, unique needs, creating that perfect software that solves the issues for everyone, that that is definitely a challenge. <laughs> yeah, that's true. 
It's a challenge, yeah. but think about all the challenges Linux has rose up to overcome in the past. I think Absolutely. we can overcome this challenge. And I think at the very least, we could get ahead of Mac OS and Windows in this arena. Like, yeah. I, I hated oh. it when I found out we were so, so far behind. Yeah. 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 We are open source. We have the, the power to make this great change and make Linux the best accessible operating system in the world. We have that power. Yep, we do. What about the government requiring accessibility? Isn't this now part of a lot of the laws of, of the land and something we have to start really focusing on? It is and it isn't. Um, I mean, of course, these laws are different from every country around the globe. But let's say, take for start with the US, basically, basically what there is is a self-certification process where you basically have to make a statement saying, yes, our system is up to general industry standards for accessibility, which is a statement that means in some sense, everything and nothing. <laughs> so as long as you're not worse than anyone else, you're sort of good. Um, and mm -hmm. I, but, but the problem is not being worse than anyone else is not really necessarily making it useful for people. So we, we don't necessarily have direct regulatory pressure to, to, to fix Linux more than it already is, but we want to do that because, well, it's the right thing to do and, and it's, uh, and, and I want to be able to fill out those self-certification forms and feel good about myself as opposed to feeling guilty every time I have to sign them every year. <laughs> no, that's very fair. Yep. Mm. If people want to help to get involved in these kinds of efforts, what are some of the best ways they can get involved in? Whether they're a developer who wants to make their app more accessible or directly working with you all on trying to help with the efforts that you're involved in for accessibility. Wow. The developers, it would be so nice if they tried just to close their eyes and use their words with a screen reader and see what happens. Maybe it would work, maybe it wouldn't, but they would at least see what uh, works and what doesn't. But yeah, that may be quite hard. And without any experience, you actually don't know what are you doing because it's nice that you have the screen reader, but of course you can't use the mouse as well because no visual impaired person uses the mouse, maybe in games, but that's not important as much. So if they just read the guidelines and try to implement them, and if they didn't understand anything or something, they should just ask somewhere. I would be so open to helping them because if uh, they understand the problems, they probably wouldn't make all the mistakes in the future. They would know and they wouldn't want to make these issues again. Yeah, just spreading the word about us is very helpful as well because if uh, much more people know about us, the higher the chance that someone will actually help with all the efforts. So only just talking about these people with the white games, even this is helpful. Let's yeah. talk about like the developers that are out there that are like, I want to get involved in the work that Lucas and Christian are doing directly. I want to help out. I got mad skills because I feel like you have to have really mad mm -hmm. skills as a developer to tackle this. So they want to get involved. They want to be awesome and help with this. Can they get in touch with you directly and get involved in some of these projects to help? 
I mean, as, as we talked about earlier, we probably need to figure out exactly where to sort of centralize this a little bit. So we have a central place where people can go. Um, at the moment, you know, there isn't necessarily a, a generic mailing list or anything. Um, so for now, I would recommend people to, to, for instance, if they come to the Fedora Dash Workstation channel on IRC, uh, then I'm C Shalla in that channel. And um, uh, Lucas is not there, but then I'm happy to basically facilitate and, and uh, put people in direct contact with Lucas there. And then hopefully over, over time, we can find some sort of more permanent setup. Yeah, so it's a Libera chat. That's where we have the Fedora Workstation oh, IRC nice. channel. Yeah. Nice. Yeah, it would be nice to have a forum. You know, Fedora, you know, being... It's it's always right now. It, the last few years, it's been such a progressive OS. You know, we've had better. We have better SF. We have Wayland, and we have Pipewire, and now we need accessibility uh, forums. <laughs> well, the 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 effort is being put into community for Fedora is has been drastically improved over the couple of years, and I love to see yeah. that. And the effort being put into this is also important, and that we have show notes that we can update. So. When you have a new thing, we can go into the show notes and they can go, like if they're watching this a year from now, they can go right now and check the show notes and there will be an updated list of whatever the access becomes to be able to get into the community and participate. And Lucas, earlier you were talking about how there are some people who are just not aware of like the needs that are for certain use cases of the software and things like that. And it reminded me of a experience I had personally as a web developer where uh, I would make my websites as accessible, I thought, like that I could. I would make everything have text that you could read it, and then also the, every image would have alt text that would ex just describe what the image was. Then I realized I was missing something that as soon as I heard that it existed, it, it like blew my mind and it was super simple. As you were saying, like once you know that you want to continue to make it as good as possible, and it was just, it was an invisible button. A, an issue with screen readers that the more and more complex websites got, the main navigation at the top of a website just covers so many different links and there's usually like 50 tabs to get past all these menus. And there's a new button that's like the accessibility button where it's a single link that's invisible to uh, for, to any anything but the tab system. And it's basically just a tab a button to skip all of the menu, menu navigation and go right to the content. And once I knew that that existed, it's been a part of every single thing I've ever made. And, and at that point, it, you were talking about how they just, they're not educated to know what they need to do. And that sort of thing is like exactly what it, what it felt like for me when I found that that button was a concept that existed. So I'm curious, how, do you, how quickly do you think these, these issues could be resolved or addressed once there's you know, a collective understanding of what needs to be done? Wow, that's uh, quite a question. <laughs> sure. Oh, the, the simple issues of all the missing labels or maybe the labels which are just uh, useless and getting rid of them because sometimes you actually want to get something away because it's just so long and not so useful. So sometimes we have to give things away. These issues could be probably fixed with quite in short time, but then you have, uh, for example, some calendars or more complicated pieces of software which need uh, something 
get a little more special and advanced. It would be probably the next wave of these special tools and then probably all the issues in the lower layers probably would be fixed and it would probably take more time because finding these isn't so easy. But, well, if everyone just now went and yeah, I'll fix something mm-hmm. and did it and the maintainers merge all the requests. The easy things would be quite quick, I think. But I suppose that after they finish the work, some designer will do something maybe visually interesting and maybe I'm afraid that everything could start from the beginning again. Yeah. And I think this is one of the things it's sort of going to be like, you know, uh, hopefully an ever-improving continuum, right? Where we keep working on it. And, and, and of course, you know, every time you fix something too, I think, you know, often your ambition level increase as, as things improve. So like, you know, getting the basic desktop 100% perfect and installer perfect, maybe step one and then step two, start looking at applications. And then, you know, things using GTK and Qt might sort of do pretty well, but then maybe there's people, things using less uh, popular toolkits that doesn't have so good built-in accessibility support. So then you start looking at that and then, mm. you know, I, I don't know, it could be that there's certain apps that we haven't even thought of yet, like, I don't know, Blender. I, don't, I have no idea how Blender is in terms of accessibility, but, you know, if you want to start getting Blender going for accessibility, that might be a huge job. I might imagine. Yeah. So uh, it's, it's all about, you know, uh, hopefully we can keep pushing our ambition levels up and up and up to, to make things uh, as good as possible. I feel like the work you are doing here could help develop some of the standards and things that we could apply and guide people to. Not that that won't be evergreen. Those type of standards and issues, I think, will expand as you come across different people, different abilities, different challenges and things. So it it would be evergreen. But even having a basic standard of you need to at least make sure you're including these things and making sure your application does these things would just be incredible for everybody um, because there's so many distros out there um, that are from smaller individuals just creating their distro. And I've mentioned it when we've had emails come into the show and our community feedback about accessibility that a lot of them don't even mention accessibility at all oh, yeah. in their documentation. Like there's yeah. not even a section. It's a problem. For and so I went out there and we kind of talked about it. And it, it's one of those things though that I think people just don't know. And once they know... I think the majority of people will come around and try to include those things. So I think the work that you're doing here is a very important part of setting the foundation as well that others could utilize. And it makes me just want to really say thank you to Red Hat and Fedora for having this ambition to go out there and and hire Lucas and bring it on board to have these discussions to start creating this foundation. That's just fantastic. And also, I'm going to say something that's a little bit weird. A little bit of a thanks to Google because some of the things that I learned about accessibility from the web standpoint is because Google set a standard yeah. for usability and accessibility on their SEO terms. So in order for mm-hmm. your, your website to rank the proper way, you have to take in consideration accessibility aspects. And so I think that's a good thing. And it hurts me to say this, that Google has done 
And uh, Google so can do good. They can do good. Right. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's possible. It's possible. <laughs> so I would love to see, like you were talking about, uh, some kind of accessibility standards being applied to like the Linux ecosystem. That would be fantastic. Yeah. Well, we want to thank both of you so much for not only reaching out mm -hmm. to us after that interview and talking to us about this important topic, but really going in and being willing to take on this challenge because yeah. it's been out there for a long time. And everybody's kind of just tried to do a little thing here or there, but there's been no cohesion to it. And I think your plan after talking with you of kind of trying to bring all of this together into one cohesive unit of this is what accessibility, some of the foundations of accessibility look like, are going to be huge for Linux and open source. So thank you so much. And we've got yeah. to have you back on. Anytime, Lucas or Christian, you guys make some progress or do something exciting, yeah, like please, please hit us up again. again. We want to have you on. Yeah. Absolutely. We'll talk about it. Yeah, we will definitely. In our chat right now, people asking how they can get a hold. So I think we've got a lot of people wanting to get involved, which is exactly what I was hoping Yay, for. Yay. Right need... now, it will be Yay. more of Christian oh. find the Pandora <laughs> I mean, desktop. I One place maybe we uh, <laughs> Uh, if we could try to use it as a starting point since it's already set up is that there is a GNOME accessibility list um, a mailing list so yeah. maybe we should uh, make sure that uh, I mean both me and Lucas will make sure to be on there and, and then that's a good place for people uh, to ask questions I should make it sure yeah, I'll get to it uh, in a few moments after this show yeah. awesome amazing uh, we'll put all this in the show notes and anytime you make an update just let us know and we'll update the show notes so people can get involved very cool. Well, thank you again for coming on the show, and uh, you're welcome anytime. Anytime, Lucas or Christian, you want to come on and talk about this subject, you're welcome back. Yeah, well, th thank you for having us, and thank you for giving this uh, topic some time. We much appreciate it. Definitely. Thank you so much. This episode of Destination Linux is brought to you by Bitwarden. Get started right now with your free account at bitwarden.com slash tux. That's slash T-U-X. You want to go there because that means that they know we sent you there and they keep supporting us. We keep supporting them because Bitwarden is the greatest password manager out there. We were supporting Bitwarden well before they even became a sponsor of this show, but we are so glad to have them as a sponsor of the show. In fact, Michael being at my house, it has happened multiple times since he's been here where we need to get into some of his accounts. And mm. he's like, oh, it's signed in as you. And then he just goes on his phone. He's got Bitwarden right there. Boom, puts his username and password in. And he's in his accounts. No matter where he goes, whether you're on your phone, your laptop, even if you want to access it in the terminal, you can get to your passwords with Bitwarden. It provides you all the tools necessary to secure your passwords in a secured vault, auto-generate those passwords, and now auto-generate your usernames as well which helps with the ability for hackers to get into your stuff. Because if they have your username, they're 50% there. Now they just need to know your password. But now you can have rolling usernames, different usernames for every account that you access. Bitwarden seals and encrypts your private data with end-to-end -end encryption before it ever leaves your devices, so you know you're the only person with access to your data. They also now built in another new feature. And by the way, they didn't change the price. They're adding all this stuff. The price is still the same at $10 per year. But now you have Firefox Relay support on top of it. What does Firefox Relay do? This allows you to create basically clone dummy email addresses. So you can create an email address. It'll auto-generate one when you're signing up for websites, but that email address will send to an actual email address you read, 
but the website will never have that actual email address of yours. And the best part is if that site you signed up for gets too spammy, you can just delete that email address and they none the wiser because you've already done the click to verify and all that stuff that they ask you to do. So go to bitwarden.com slash tux, that slash T-U-X to get started. $10 premium account. You're going to get all kinds of additional features with that $10. Go check it out. Bitwarden.com slash tux. Thanks again to Bitwarden for sponsoring this episode of Destination Linux. Chromebooks are a topic that we don't typically cover on this show because, well, they're limited. Okay, they're, they're low cost. That's nice. And Google pushes them quite a lot in a lot of different ways. But one of the things that they push them that, the, uh, that seems to be the most is the education sector. Oh, yeah. And they have made them very popular choice for schools. Mm. And the good news is that you can unleash the power of full Linux on Chromebooks. So in the news this week, we have a dish that we're going to talk about for exactly this issue, and that is Edubudgie. That's a, a kind of a difficult thing to say. Edubudgie is an Ubuntu LTS flavor featuring the Budgie desktop. Well, the unique thing about this is the education software that gets packed in it, but it creates quite a large ISO. So I guess yeah. the first thing I want to warn people about is if you're one of those people who are like, I don't like bloat anywhere. This has got a lot of bloat in it. <laughs> it's like 5.9 gigabytes for the ISO by itself. But it comes with a lot of cool things. There's a reason they're doing that. Mm -hmm. Because Chromebooks are so heavily into the educational mm -hmm. institutions and we want to make sure that we're offering an operating system or they want to make sure they're offering an operating system that has a bunch of educational apps in it. That's what it's including in there. You get things like G-Brainy, which is an educational quiz, games, math, other subjects, uh, GeoGebra, maybe GeoGebra, GeoGebra, mm -hmm. GeoGebra, that Geo makes sense. Yeah, GeoGebra. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, like you've got KIG, you've got K-Word Quiz, Open Board, Scratch, all of these different educational programs built into one, and it can go on that Chromebook if it's Intel. Mm. Chromebook. Yeah. You can't do the ARM thing with this. Um, so I did try to install this. I had a lot of issues with the ISO in a virtual machine, but I think mm -hmm. it was more of my laptop, not anything to do with Edubunty. Edubuntu. Well, you're right. It is kind of hard to say. It's Edubudgy. Edubudgy. Yeah. Edubuntu budgy. Because there was an Edubuntu. Speaking of Ryan. There was one of yeah. Those. yeah. Yeah. There was an Edubuntu. <laughs> yeah, yeah, there you go. And now there's a bunch of I knew that. That's why I said it. Obviously. Yeah, of yeah. course. It, you didn't mess it up. It was just like, it's budgie. just like, you know, that's a thing that you knew about. Totally. Right. Yeah. 100%. <laughs> Edgy budgie. Uh, but the, also the other thing is once you do get it installed, if you do like a full install on machine, if you just do the, I want to try it before you do the full install, you need a username and password. And I couldn't find that anywhere. So a couple little quirks there. But overall, I love this idea of an educational distro. And I love the idea. One of the things I have on my channel, some videos about Chromebook and you got half the community loved me for the video and half the community really hated me for it. Cause I think they bought a Chromebook and they have that buyer's regret. But if you have a Chromebook and you want to actually unleash the full power of that Chromebook, Chromebooks are very limited. They do have some ability to kind of, I don't know, inch into the Linux ecosystem and all the power yeah. there with some of the things that they're doing. It's got some extra projects like Crouton and Crouton stuff like that. Things like that. Yeah. But having full Linux capabilities on the Chromebook does make it a really awesome option because you got that low cost hardware on top of having the full awesome power of Linux and open source there. So I think this is a cool project. I like these type of projects out there to try to give kids an option if their parents bought them a Chromebook. I mean, one of the reasons we love Linux in general is its ability to close a digital divide and having something that is, you know, good to use versus, you know, Chrome OS, 
that's that's definitely a, a, a good bonus and a good selling point. And earlier we talked in the interview, you're talking about the use case distributions and how some of the times they, they're not ideal. But I think this is one of those use cases that it is a great option because the educational sector has very specific types of usage that it makes sense to have these kinds of specific distributions. And having the software discovery. One of the things when I yeah. first came into Linux was Ubuntu Studio was a godsend for me. Mm-hmm. Because I had no idea what applications to do the media development and stuff in. I was doing a 30 days of Linux challenge. And Ubuntu Studio had all of that built in. So I didn't have to go find it. It was like, right. I need something to edit video. Type in, in the search in the menu, video edit, and Caden Live popped up. And boom, I suddenly started learning Caden Live. And so it had everything there. So I didn't have to go and do endless yeah. research. And I think with education uh, distro like this, it's kind of the same concept. Yep. Yes, you could install this education software in Fedora probably or any other distro, but this is just packaging it all together for you. I love their frequently asked questions on this on this distro. They had, they had a question that says, couldn't we just take Ubuntu and install all these applications and have essentially the same thing? And the answer was yes, but you could also install Arch Linux and do all of the other things yourself too. Or you could use Linux from scratch. And it's like, yes, we're making it easier for you not to do that right. stuff. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, yeah. That's a yeah. fantastic point. And also, you're talking about the application access and discoverability. I have been using Linux for over 20 years. And there's a, there was like probably 20% of the applications that are in this list for this, this distribution I had never heard of. Right. It's like, well, oh. okay, there you go. <laughs> Very cool. And there, like we've, we talked about earlier, there are other distros that have done this. There was uh, mm-hmm. um, Edubuntu, there were Chemo for Kids, which was one of my favorite ones. And those projects are, are no longer with us. But the nice thing about this one, because it is on Chromebooks, they did fo- focus on the Chrome browser. Yeah, I know. The others used Firefox as default, but this one is using Chrome because they wanted people to have that comfortable experience from being on a Chromebook. Yeah. Plus, it's budgie, and that's just a brilliant desktop environment. Yeah, it's very nice. Budgie like, it's is gonna, awesome. It's such yeah. a great way if somebody's great just diving laptop. into Linux, and then they're going from Chrome OS into this full Linux, and they got mm-hmm. budgie there. It's going to yeah. be like, yeah, they're going to stay with Linux, the full yeah. real Linux. So last week, we talked about the nostalgia of the new Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Shredder's Revenge games. Right? That's so awesome. So good. Yes. <laughs> and we also played it from beginning to end with uh, Matt, Nate, Wendy, Michael, Ryan, and myself during the charity stream for Gamesphere. And that was awesome. And thank you to all those who donated. That was wonderful. Yes. And Matt and you know our incredible community actually were able to raise $1,100 for finding the cure for epilepsy. We're awesome. so proud of Matt and our amazing community for hanging out for the 24-hour stream and supporting a cause so personal to Matt and his family. And it made for a lot of fun all day on Monday. To, we actually having got the stream to play on. the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle game from beginning to end, to end. on that yeah. stream. It was really cool. Yeah. And we got Wendy involved, which was awesome. And everybody was playing and we got to beat the final boss. And it was just, it was such a fantastic game. I got really into yeah. trying to get the most like kill streak or hit streaks yeah. or something, combos. And to the uh-huh. point where, as, as in typically when we do streams, uh, Ryan and I are just constantly saying random weird stuff to our to each other and making jokes and stuff. And there was at one point, and I didn't realize I was doing it until you were like, "And you're being really quiet." And I was just like, and at that point, I looked up at the combo and it was like 117 or something. 
Yeah. And that's it's a very wow. difficult thing to get to that point. And I was like, maybe I'm too into this game. Well, the important part <laughs> is Matt gives us a lot of crap about yeah. being better at games than us. Yes, he and does. <laughs> Michael's focus, and a few times with my non-focus, but still, we were better than Matt. Almost One of every us time, yes. Was at least better than Matt most of the time. So Matt can no longer on Linux uh, Out Loud or anywhere else talk uh, trash about our gaming true. capabilities yeah. because we wrecked them. All right, maybe yep. it wasn't that much, but it was we slightly we better. We showed sometimes. we were slightly better at times, and <laughs> it so there, Matt. Yeah, yeah. there. Also, Matt said that if they met the goal for the charity stream, that they're going to be that he would agree to play Among Us. Because Among he's Us, yeah. So for some reason, just just, yeah. just refuses to play the game, and we don't know exactly why. But <laughs> it's nice because the good news is that we raised eleven hundred dollars for the cure, which is by itself awesome, fantastic, and thank you every everyone for participating in that. And Matt also has confirmed that the next event. We will include Among Us, and Among he us. Will, he has agreed to participate. Yeah, yes, yeah, that's gonna be awesome. And I will, it. for the first time, play Among Us on my Steam Deck. But I'm waiting. <laughs> Every go. single time that we to- we cover gaming on the show, I feel like Jill is just like trolling me. She does showing hold the Steam it up a deck, lot, right? Like, yeah, she's just gonna, <laughs> right? I just I want to show you how nice it my, is. My cool pink case. Oh, look, Michael. Look yeah, but I mean, I, I've seen it. I've seen it. <laughs> No, poor Michael. He doesn't have a Steam Deck yet because he uh, had the 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 higher price one. So he's still one. waiting. I assumed that they would like be you nicer to the people who you paid more money to him, but I guess that's not how it works. Uh, well, Jill, tell <laughs> yeah. us about the game this week. Yeah, so we actually found another game this week to fit that n- nostalgia that we had playing Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles: Shredder's Revenge, and it is called uh, Final Vendetta. And this game is a hard-hitting, action-packed beat-em-up for one to two players in in the vein of classic arcade titles like uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. It feels like a combination of Street Fighter and... Final Fury? Final Fury and also like uh, Double Dragon. Yeah. Double Dragon, yeah. That's another good... There was also another game that it looks almost exactly like this game, and I can't remember what it was, but I remember like looking at this... The, like the was demo it video. Streets of Rage? It might have been Streets of Rage. Yeah. It might have been that. Yeah, yeah. That's another one. Final Vendetta, it, it had it has really nice uh, pixel art for the characters and the backgrounds. I was really impressed. They did a very good job at unifying all the art. Seb and it like has that. a really cool, fast-paced soundtrack that really keeps you immersed in the action. And in fact, it has exclusive music created by the Utah Saints, an English electronic music duo that's pretty well known. <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. Very awesome, and it, it it it's it keeps you thumping and and going with all the action. So. Well, this reminded me a little bit, Jill, of um, a game that I wanted. You know, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles gave me so much nostalgia, but then I saw a picture of the old Simpsons arcade game. Oh yeah, and I thought yeah. I want to play that with Jill, Michael, and Wendy, oh, and everybody too. Wouldn't that be, that be amazing? Because awesome. that was a fun arcade too, in that same vein. Yeah, definitely. In our software spotlight this week, we have TIC-80. It's a free and open source fantasy computer for making, playing, and sharing tiny games. We're talking about pixelated games. Zeb would really have us on this episode. He would would love this. He would just 
I'm going to send him a message after to say, hey, yeah. check this out. You need to know yeah. this whole episode yeah. for you, Zeb. Yeah. Uh, with TIC-80, you get built-in tools for development code sprites creation for your pixelated characters, maps, sound editors, and the command line, which is enough to create a mini retro game yourself. Games are packaged into a cartridge file, which can be easily distributed. TIC-80 works on all popular platforms. This means your cartridge can be played on any device as well. So the cool thing is you could basically utilize this. It's a game game creator to create a pixelated game of your own and distribute it to your friends and be able to play it. If you've ever wanted to get into game development, not ready to go into like the unity engine and things like that, this is kind of a cool place to start to learn some basic concepts of game creation and things. So when I saw it, I thought that's pretty cool. We should check that out. That's a really, it's really cool. And uh, I like it as a spotlight because there's also lots of different games that already exist and you can just go play them on the website and you can play them directly on the website. Like the old timey, like flash games where you could just go to, various different pla- like new grounds or whatever and get yeah. to like the the nostalgia of it so you can kind of have a similar thing with these kinds of games and it's fun because we found you know, there's tons of different uh knockoff flappy bird games yes right? oh, and we found one in this called fennel bird and we decided fun. to play it me and jill uh, challenged each other to how far could we go in this and i can say that i did a fantastic 100% unbeatable three pipes clearing three wow, pipes like three pipes she yes. floated over okay <laughs> in, uh, no in between i got oh. through yeah it was so okay. good and then jill got six <laughs> six so obviously jill cheated that's the only explanation <laughs> jill and, why do uh, you have to put hacks in why can't you just play the game the way it was oh yes hey, why but he has, why do you have to be better the- <laughs> yeah. Well, Michael has the advantage of Michael AI. He could have been run one oh, me easily. I forgot to cheat. Yeah, you yeah. could have <laughs> read the script right on my computer. Uh, next time. Yeah. Next time, Jill. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's gonna be it's gonna be fun because you know how you were talking about Zeb would love these games. Yeah. It's interesting because we we ha- for those who don't know, Zeb was a former host on uh, Destination Linux, and yeah. uh, he had to leave a couple of years ago. It also means that we haven't trolled him about pixel games in a very long time. So it may be they'll be like, well, well, enlighten him to the fantasticness of these pixel games. Yes, you're right. But it's kind of funny because I think that he would appreciate it and hate it at the same time. Yeah. Yeah. So I think we need to like, you know, bring, so we're talking about bringing back retro games and all this other stuff. We're going to retro annoy and also retroly annoy Zeb. (laughs) Yes. I love it. Yeah. Let's do it. (laughs) So, but the, the next thing we're going to talk about is the tip of the week. And this would be very helpful to a lot of people, and I think Zeb would appreciate this part because he loves doing these kinds of automation stuff. So we're going to be talking about Cron. So Cron is a very powerful daemon process that lets you set up automation for tasks. Basically anything, whether you want to do backups without intervention or you just run run, want to run custom scripts that you built, all sorts of different things you can do with Cron. So anything that can run in your computer and you have like a command that you can activate this which is essentially any Linux software period, then you can use cron to automate that process. And this week, so we're going to be covering some basics. And then in subsequent weeks, we're going to do like a series and go into more detail with each things that we're going to get into later on. And to set up a job that executes a simple command on its own, you can set a time and day. Now, these are kind of complicated in how you do specifics. So we're not going to be able to do like kind of explain everything directly because... It'd be kind of weird to audibly have so many asterisks in a but different there's sequence. there's a hack for it. Right. Hack. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> so we're going to get to that in a second. So what this does is cron, cron reads the cron tab or cron tables 
for predefined commands and scripts. So the first thing we need to understand is that cron is a syntax more so than a particular scripting system. So the first five fields, A, B, C, D, E, specify the time, date, and recurrence of the job. And in the second section, the, the directory slash command specifies the location of the script that you want to run, oh, and of course the script itself. The final segment output is optional. It defines how the system notifies the user of the job completion, whether you want to do it silently or verbose to let you know that something went, has happened with that particular script. So before we go any further, make sure you've installed cron. Now, the hardest part of cron is these first five fields that we talked about. It's, it's a confusing time and date syntax. It's hard to explain directly in audio. So the tip we have is that you can go to crontab-generator.org and it will, you just tell it what day and what time you want it to reoccur, and it will tell you the exact syntax automatically, so you don't have to worry about learning how this structure works. Uh, immediately, you can use this generator to kind of teach you that structure. And then next week, we're going to go into the next section, and we're going to save that for then. So if you want to learn more about Cron yourself before we get to that next week, that's fine. We're going to have some links in the show notes, but be sure to stay tuned for next episode when we get to a little bit more details about Cron. Guess what I'm using Cron for right now as we speak? What's that? To, to take, uh, I use it in combination with the Scrot terminal uh, screen capture utility mm -hmm. to take screenshots when I'm, I'm live, like every five to 10 minutes. Very nice. Yeah. You like to look at your pictures of yourself that much? No, 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 like no, 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 I'm, no, I'm kind of a historian. I always. like to document things and take lots well, of pictures. Awesome. <laughs> yeah. So cool. That is cool. I wish I had done that earlier in my life. I'd have all that stuff to kind of yeah. go back. Yeah. It's pretty cool. Uh, so I might I might just directly copy Jill. I copy a lot of what Jill does. We don't you know, need more like. screenshots of you. <laughs> what? You've got I, a, a, half you know, the time no. he's over at my house. He's taking selfies of himself. Yeah, but of course. <laughs> no. I mean, if, you, if you're not taking selfies, you're not experiencing you're life. You know, when you go out, history. The, yeah, you go out into the store, into, into, the, into the world and you go to the store and you see people yeah. like, you know, doing selfies in front of the produce aisle, the grocery store. I mean, that's when you know that they really enjoy life. They enjoy produce. Yeah, they love, yeah. They, they love produce, <laughs> love exactly. Produce. So uh, cron Booty. can be used for backups. You can use it to automatically update your servers. Maybe there's a server yeah. that's hands off. You want it to just update and upgrade. You can run cron for that. You can create all kinds of jobs. Cron's amazing. That's why we're going to dive into it. That syntax with the date, I think, is the hardest part of cron. Yes. Yeah. So with that cron tab generate, it's going to take care of all of that and mm -hmm. make it really easy for you. So in our announcements, Durhan's hooked us up this week with the conferences you should be getting prepped for coming up. We have the 25th Guadec for the Gnome community, in person and virtual, July 20th through the 25th. That's in Guadalajara, Mexico. Boom, nailed it. Ryan. Thank, you. Thank you so much. I'm learning. Uh, we also have Scale, which Michael, me, and Jill will be at together. So if you want to hang out with us, you can come to Scale in person or virtual, July 28th through the 31st in Los Angeles. California. We're going to be California kids. Yes, you are. For about I'm four gonna, days. <laughs> you're going to learn proper Spanish. <laughs> no. Oh, boy. You, you, did no. you see how I could barely I, pronounce a city? I'm going to be... You nailed I'm, it first, this time. <laughs> yeah, the first restaurant I'm going to take Michael and Ryan to is one of many Mexican restaurants. So you can no. have real tacos, not tacos, tacos, burritos, enchiladas, quesadillas, you know, oh, I cannot wait tamales. to check out Taco Bell's menu in California. <laughs> yeah, no. or, or, so Del Taco. or Del Taco. Or, yeah, yeah, it's going to be great. Cannot and maybe wait. some fish great. tacos or langusta tacos. 
Well, look at Lobster that. Do you see how she put that little lagoon mm-hmm. stuff? Uh, okay. <laughs> right, flair to it. I appreciate it. That's Some pretty spice. cool. We <laughs> also <laughs> have Nest with Fedora virtual August 4th through the 6th. So that's pretty awesome. And they have call for proposals still going on there as well. August 4th through the 6th, Nest with Fedora. A big thank you to each and every one of you for supporting us by watching or listening. However you do it, we love your faces. We're here every Sunday at 1 p.m. Eastern live at TuxDigital.com. The best part. Everyone is invited to watch the recording of Destination Linux each and every week. Also, we have our glorious patrons that have joined us in the the patron-only section of the recording stadium. This is a 60,000-square-foot virtual stadium that they're able to join. And we have so much room, so if you want to become a patron and then join us in the patron-only post-show, you'll have a lot of fun. And if you can't make it live, you can also check out the unedited versions of the show because patrons also get access to that, plus many other perks. So go to tuxdigital.com contribute to get more information about how to sign up to become a patron. Also, if you want to support the show and the, ch- and the network, you can also check out the swag we have at the store. So tuxdigital.com store to click on all the uh, great options. You can see that you've got T-shirts, hoodies, mugs, stickers, uh, selfie sticks, apparently. No, I don't... I'm pointing to your shirt oh, with the selfie oh, yeah, stick yeah, yeah. as okay. an example of what they could get <laughs> in the store. Yes. You guys could get Linux is this. everywhere. You know, you also could just use your finger instead of the <laughs> selfie stick. You could get this. If you, you can, yes. Yeah, that might kind of like hurt, Ryan. <laughs> you can get Linux is everywhere t-shirt and also other things. Not a selfie stick yet. Eventually, maybe. We'll see. Yeah. <laughs> you go to tuxdigital.com slash store to use a selfie stick to choose whatever item you want as well. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, make sure to check out all our amazing shows here on the Tux Digital Network. We have the Pseudo Show, This Week in Linux, the DOS Geek Channel, Linux Out Loud, and Hardware Addicts, the last two you can catch Wendy on, one of my favorite people on the network. (laughs) What about us? We are also (laughs) on the network, Jill. And we have GameSphere with our beloved Matt and our virtual Linux user group, Linux Saloon, with Nate and friends. So everyone head to textdigital.com and subscribe to all these great shows. And don't forget to leave a rating on your favorite app so others can discover the power of open source and keep those penguins marching and the full Monty of Linux and open source awesome sauce. And everybody have an awesome week. And remember that the journey itself is just as important as the destination. Thanks, everyone. See you next week. Woohoo! Bye bye.